Welcome to our Sunday Sermon Podcast with City Harvest AG Church. Wherever you are in life, we believe that God has a plan and a purpose for you. Here at City Harvest, we believe in the undiluted Word of God and the teachings here will enhance your understanding of the Scripture and will help you grow and mature as a Christian. So we hope and pray that you will be blessed by this sermon. Today's sermon is brought to us by Pastor Jacob Cherian. Palm Sunday. What comes to your mind on a day like this? You know that today millions of churches around the world are celebrating this as a special day. I grew up in a small town, Jabalpur, in North India. And several years in a lovely little Methodist church. And for us, Palm Sunday was that very special day when we would go around the church with palms in our hand. I know that is a tradition in several of those churches. And in my memory as a boy, that was a day of joy and of fun. But what is the full story of Palm Sunday? Also called Passion Sunday. What is fascinating, uh, dear brothers and sisters, is when you read the four Gospels, you have four unique narratives. They are not blended into one. They are four different parables and each of them remembers this memorable entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, but from a unique perspective. We find interesting details that are different in four Gospels. They present various portraits of this day. And I would invite you to keep your Bibles open to Luke 19. Luke portrays Jesus as if he's on a journey. And the way Luke has organized this material is, he has placed Jesus on a journey, especially from 951. And only now in chapter 19, Jesus reaches Jerusalem. That's his organizational principle, okay? He wants to organize several material on a journey of Jesus. Jesus is moving from Galilee to Jerusalem. That's his journey. And now in chapter 19, the final destination is in sight. Jesus has reached some of those villages about a couple of miles from Jerusalem on the lower slopes of Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem. And in one of these villages, Jesus sends two of his disciples and tells them to fetch an unridden colt, a little donkey. That was in direct enactment of the prophet Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9. And Luke mentions that a large group of people, including disciples of Jesus, are part of this crowd. And what are they doing? They are shouting loudly, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. You may recognize that this is from the Psalms. Psalms 118 verse 26. Though Luke has put it slightly differently. Blessed is not just he who comes. Blessed is the king. Because the king 
has come. Just remind yourself, friends, in Jerusalem, this is the time when hundreds, thousands of pilgrims are coming into Jerusalem because the Passover is nigh. And as the pilgrims usually enter into Jerusalem, this was the kind of greeting the people of Jerusalem would give them. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And along with this, Luke tells us, they also shout peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And if you have been reading Luke from the beginning, you recognize that this goes along with the proclamation of the angels at the birth of Jesus. So this is not an ordinary welcome, friends. This is like welcoming a celebrity. And obviously, there are some people who are not happy because of the way they are being welcomed. Luke does not mention, did you notice? There is no mention of palm leaves in this narrative. There is no mention of people putting their clothes on the ground, uh, a kind of a, a red carpet welcome, if you want to call it. But still, when the people shout and say, blessed is a king who comes in the name of the Lord, some of the Pharisees objected to that and even asked Jesus to control his over-enthusiastic disciples, something which Jesus refuses to do. He let the people shout joyfully. Now, friends, remember, Jesus, his whole life was moving towards this last week. He has now come to the culmination of God's purposes in his life. And now for this final drama of Jesus, the stage is going to be, where else? Jerusalem. It has to be there. And as various scenes will be played out on this stage of Jerusalem, hundreds of pilgrims are there in Jerusalem for the Passover and the people applauding Jesus as he comes in on a donkey, a humble animal, a beast of burden. You see, the people of God, the people of Jerusalem and those who have come from many places, these are the people of God who feel that they have been bowed down by the Roman oppressors. They are longing for their God to come and save them. When will the chosen Messiah come in their midst? And then when they heard about this miracle working prophet from Galilee, their hopes are raised. But did they not find it odd that a Messiah, a warrior king, was riding into Jerusalem on a small donkey and not on a majestic horse? Let me stir your imagination by another probable entry into Jerusalem at this time. You see Pontius Pilate representing the great empire, lived in Caesarea by the sea. And during times like this, he would come in with a cavalcade, and he would come into the city on a great horse just to make sure law and order was being followed during this time. 
so there was no unnecessary unrest and commotion. He would have come with a horse and a military escort. But Jesus, representing the kingdom of God that we just sang about, comes on a little non-majestic animal. And the people of God shout in the great hope, waving tree branches, spreading their clothes on the ground. Maybe some of them remembered the story. About 200 years before this, there was a great warrior who had come into Jerusalem, Judas Maccabeus. You may have read about the Maccabean Wars. And this man helped them to fight their Syrian overlords and won a victory. And because of that, they rededicated the temple that is even today celebrated in the Jewish religion as the Feast of Hanukkah, mentioned in John's Gospel 10.22. Oh, maybe they are thinking, here is another one who will deliver us. Their hope, based on their memory of history, their reading of scripture, they construct their Messiah and they are shouting, our time has come, we want liberation. Now, you see friends, the disciples and the crowds were shouting, they were excited because they thought, they knew what God was doing. This was their reconstruction. By the way, and they were shouting Hosanna, right? But did you notice that in this narrative in Luke, Hosanna is not mentioned. By the way, what does Hosanna mean? Hosanna is a Hebrew expression which basically says, save us. Rescue us, which by the time of Jesus had become like a word of praise, a word of praise. So the people shout, Hosanna, save us, Messiah, come on, do it for us. You know, God's people thought that they had it figured out, but they were wrong, tragically wrong. The disciples of Jesus would understand, but not now, later. Friends, sometimes you and I, we as people of God, we may think that we understand God and we've got God all figured out. We expect God to act for us in certain ways and we tell him how to act through our prayer. If you give him a shopping list, if he doesn't listen, then we get together for prayer, special prayer, fasting and prayer. Somehow twist his arm to do what we want. But God has to be on our terms. And while everybody is cheering, is Jesus having a good time? Is he going around and showing the V sign? Doesn't seem so. Look at 1941. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, 
he wept over it. Palm Sunday is a day of joy, isn't it? When we are expected to shout Hosanna and rejoice. So why does Jesus weep with sorrow? Most of us probably remember that one place in John's gospel at the tomb of Jesus. Remember, Jesus wept and that is uh, a passage we all remember. But how many of us remember that this is the only other passage in the four gospels where it clearly says Jesus wept. Don't miss this. It's extraordinary. Why did Jesus weep on Palm Sunday? Because it's very simple. It follows right after that. Jesus could see this horrible destruction of Jerusalem just round the corner. Verse 42 to 44. And Jesus said, If you, even you, had only known on this day, what would bring you peace? But now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. They are calling to this Messiah figure, save us. But what is he telling them? I'm sorry. What I see is a horrible fate waiting for you, Jerusalem. Because you have not understood how you get your peace. You see, friends, that's exactly what happens. A few decades later, 70 AD, Jerusalem will be engulfed with unbearable sorrows. The superpower Rome, already on the ground there, was soon to come with brutal retaliation for the rebellion of Jerusalem. You see, Jerusalem and the people of God think the way to have victory is through arms, to fight, to kill, to destroy. But instead, General Titus and his armies would destroy the city. They would level down the temple and brutally humiliate this nation which claimed to belong to God. Jesus says, they did not know the day of peace. They did not recognize the time of God's coming to them. They did not recognize the day and the way of peace was the way of Jesus. And which was not the way they wanted. It was going to be the way of the cross and not the sword. You see, the son of David was going to win over his enemies, not by subjugating them and killing them. The king was going to win the victory by the way of a humiliating death himself, by the way of the cross. The king 
could overpower his enemies by the amazing power of his love and mercy. But the people have shouted, Hosanna, rescue us God. But how was this God going to rescue them? By carrying a cross. And that's not easy for God's people to understand. How are we going to overcome this world? By carrying our cross as we follow the Lamb. By the way, friends, right after this follows another story. Quite familiar story. Because all the four Gospels have a certain version of it. And normally we talk about it as the cleansing of the temple, right? In fact, some of our headings will say things like clearing the temple or cleansing the temple. However, look carefully, friends. Read the story. Jesus did not clean anything. Nothing was cleansed. All the money changers and business stalls would have been back the next day. Jesus was doing something very clear. If you read carefully, he was referring with words of the prophets. From words of Isaiah and Jeremiah. You have made this house, which was supposed to be a house of prayer for all people. You have made it a den of thieves. Those are words from Jeremiah and Isaiah. And using those words, what was Jesus doing? This is prophetic drama. This is what the prophet would do in the Old Testament times. They would do something symbolically to make a point. A prophet would carry a yoke on his shoulder and walk around town to say, you are going to come under the yoke of the Babylonians. Jesus in one small corner of the temple. This is not in the center where right with the power near the altar or anything like that. He did a prophetic drama. But what was it prophesying? Jesus' actions and words echoed those of the prophets. Jesus was not cleansing the temple. I have a small piece written that you can check Find on online, did Jesus cleanse the temple? You see, God's intention for the temple always was that it should be for all people. God gave that job to the people of Israel. And if they failed, God said, the temple will be destroyed. When Jeremiah used those same words a few centuries ago, he was prophesying that the Babylonians will be here soon and they will flatten out this temple. That's what happened. Jesus is now using the same words and saying, this temple has failed. So it's going to be flattened out. He was not cleansing the temple. He was cursing the temple. Now, Luke does not mention this story, but interestingly in Mark and Matthew, along with this story, there is another story. There's a story of the cursing of a fig tree. Very interesting. 
And if you read that in Matthew, it's two stories separately. However, if you read it in Mark, Mark likes to do things like this. He likes to take two stories and put one into the other, like a sandwich. So that you see them together. That's what Mark does in chapter 11. He starts with the story of the fig tree. Then he puts in the story of Jesus in the temple. And then he talks once again of the fig tree. Basically, he wants you to see these two stories are the same. Jesus cursing the fig tree is calling condemnation on the whole temple ritual which is not producing the fruit that God intends. Friends, I want us to pause here for a moment and understand a monumental truth. You see, why did God choose Israel? Why did God choose Abraham? Not because Abraham was the best guy on the planet. God chose Abraham to bless the whole world. Read Genesis 12, 1 to 3. To bless the whole world. Why did God choose Israel? By the way, Jacob, Israel. Surely not the best guy around. Why did God choose Israel? To bless the whole world. The purpose of Israel was to bless the whole world. And Israel miserably fails. Instead of bringing God's revelation and salvation to the world, Israel gets indrawn. Why did God choose Jerusalem, the city of David? So that that will be a place where God's revelation and salvation will become available to all. So for a thousand years or so, God had been preparing that city for his coming. Ready to meet its Messiah. But instead we have a long history of disobedience and rebellion. God weeps over his own people. The weeping of Jesus represents God's pain of a parent who finds children rebelling against them. The pain of God is the pain ultimately of a lover rejected, of a parent rebelled against God's people. And so instead of recognizing and welcoming Jesus the Messiah, very soon we know what happens. The Jerusalem of God will soon arrest the Messiah on trumped up charges. Rush him through a trial through the unearthly hours of the night. Pull the skin off his back in a brutal flogging and finally execute him in a surpassingly brutal manner as the worst of criminals. This is what we do to God. However, please note friends, Jesus is not weeping for himself. 
on the impending sorrows he will experience he weeps for the city of god's people he weeps for god's people who fail for an israel that has ultimately failed he weeps for us we who often have not understood the time of god's visitation we say we want god we come to church on days like this yes we want god but on our terms as we think he should relate to us yes jesus weeps for us for like jerusalem we too do not know it is the cross that makes for our peace apostle paul writing to his church we read in first corinthians this is a church of spirit filled people established by the apostle himself and yet they are struggling to understand the cross and so paul keeps telling them i came to preach nothing else except the cross the wisdom of god but the cross is foolishness to the world so what does a sunday like today palm sunday mean for us palm sunday is the introduction of god's people to this week on this week holy week as us often called god's people are to be on a pilgrimage till we come to the foot of the cross till we understand god's upside down kingdom till we understand that we seek the lion but it's the lamb on the throne you know in that amazing puzzling book at the end of our bibles the book of revelation chapter 5 when there is the one sitting on the throne has a scroll and it's got seven seals and no one can open it and somebody comes and tells john don't weep look the lion of the tribe of judah has overcome look chapter 5 verse 5 look the lion and it says john turned and he looked no lion it's only the lamb you will not see the lion in the book of revelation you will see the lamb is on the throne now that is god's way that is not the way of the world you and i are living in friends we live in a world where we are deceived by the dazzling glories of the world we must recognize the dangers that actually lurk around the corner the worldly kingdom is a kingdom of worldly power and might and money this dazzling attraction of the world seeks to blind us from the true and eternal glory of the kingdom of god but jesus warns jerusalem to repent and believe in god's kingdom 
being ushered in by God's kingly Messiah. A Messiah who is going to be a crucified Messiah. Now that is an oxymoron. A crucified Messiah does not make any sense to a Jewish person like Paul. No wonder he was after the Jewish followers of Jesus. Because he says, how can you follow a cursed man? Because anyone who dies on the cross is cursed. That's what the Bible says. And so friends, when he recognizes is the crucified Messiah and the risen one who is the Lord of the universe, that apostle Paul falls and becomes a slave of that king. The most magnificent and powerful truth is this, friends. Listen carefully. Jesus weeps because the judgment of God is coming on Israel. In a sense, because Israel is going to go the way of the world, they are going to fight Rome. They are going to try to win it by force. And all the rebellions that after the time of Jesus took place and finally Rome came and crushed Jerusalem. Instead of following the way of the cross, instead of following the way of repentance and following the way of the Lamb, they choose to follow the way of the world and they are crushed. Jesus realizes that this is the path that they are on. The path of destruction. But then he seeks for them to understand that though that curse or the judgment that is coming on them is coming, Jesus is going to take upon that curse on himself. This is the magnificent truth of the gospel that you need to understand. Okay, let me explain this a little bit. Pardon me, I am a teacher. You see, why did Jesus come? Sunday school answer is a good answer. Jesus came to die for my sins. Because I am the only one who there. On the cross, he thought about me above all. No, that's part of it. Jesus came to fulfill what God intended through Israel. Remember, why did God choose Israel? To bring salvation for the whole world. Now, since Israel fails, Jesus is going to take the place of Israel. Now, if you read the Gospels carefully with this perspective in mind, you will find a lot of the shadow of the acts and the words of Jesus will show you that he is representing Israel. When you read Matthew's gospel, Matthew 2.15, after Jesus and his family had to rush to Egypt, remember that story? And then Matthew will say, this was to fulfill the words of the prophet that out of Egypt I called my son. Now that is a reference to Hosea. But that's referring to Israel. Out of Egypt, God pulled out Israel. But now, Matthew is using that for Jesus. You see that? So from the very beginning, 
Jesus is representing the people of God. At the baptism of Jesus, what was the words of John the baptizer? His words were to Israel, repent, prepare yourself for the kingdom. And then stands Jesus before him. And what does John say? Sorry, not for you. And Jesus tells John, sorry, John, this you don't understand yet. That I am Israel. Jesus did not take Christian baptism. You and I don't take baptism because Jesus took baptism, okay? We are baptized into Jesus. But Jesus stood there in the place of sinful Israel. And then he goes through the water. Then he hears the words of affirmation. The same words that God would use for Israel. And then Jesus goes into the wilderness. Remember? 40 days. Just like Israel was in the wilderness 40 years. Israel in the wilderness failed the temptations. But Jesus overcame and won. Do you realize what Jesus is doing? He's fulfilling what Israel failed to do. That's why you have words like John 15 verse 1. I am the true vine. Now you may think, oh, wine is like this and is a creature and produces grapes and grapes is red in color and you know, all that kind of thing. That's not the point. Why did Jesus choose to say, I am the true vine? Why not the true mango? Because for the people of God, the vine symbolized Israel. Look up Psalm 80. You brought a wine out of Egypt. Read Isaiah 5. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the household of Israel. So when Jesus is saying, I am the true vine, he's saying, I am now the true Israel. And if you are connected to me, you become part of Israel. That's the only way. True, that means there is no other way. Now, if Jesus was that true Israel, beginning his life as Israel, being baptized on behalf of Israel, he is now going to be crucified on behalf of Israel so that Israel can now encompass the whole world. Do you realize what's happening, friends? Jesus is weeping for Israel because Israel is going to face the consequences of its own actions. But then, that curse of like the fig tree representing again, by the way, Israel. Unfruitfulness. He is going to take upon himself so that on the cross, he stands in place of God's people. So that now, we too can through his death and resurrection... And through sending us the Spirit, become part of that people of God. This is the beautiful truth we must move towards during this week. Friends, Jesus opens the door for all right now through himself. I am the true wine. Become part of the people of God as we come to Jesus. Which story will we believe? We grow up in a world where we are 
enculturized to think in a certain way our grandmothers tell us stories to basically make us think in the way of our communities and then the world around us that we live in we work in our neighbors etc there is a story out there the story of power and might and value and yet the lamb of god wants us to learn another story we are called to be followers of the lamb we are followers of the way we think differently our victories do not come by the sword but by the cross therefore some 20 plus years ago when we heard the horrible news that graham stains and his two beautiful boys were burnt in orissa how do we respond gladys stains showed us the way of the lamb she said i forgive them maybe you heard about those 21 coptic christians who were killed by the isis in libya you remember that that image went all over the world they were beheaded by the way if you don't know what coptics are they are egyptian orthodox christians and none of them held back they stood for their faith they were beheaded and the mother of two of those young men two of her sons were killed that day and the mother said i want to meet the men who killed my sons i will hug them we live in a world where if you happen to cross somebody on the road they may pull out a gun if they have one we live in a world where the leaders of our countries and superpowers threaten each other in hindi we have a saying eat ka jawab patthar se you try doing this we will show you who we are and god's people in this world we live in are called to follow a man who wins his victory on the cross this we find difficult don't we but that is the way of the cross that is the story we are called to live jesus went through the agonies of this week so that we will understand that unless we recognize the time of god's coming and the way of the kingdom of god we too may miss the kingdom we too will miss understanding and following the lamb let us enter with faith relive the events of this holy week and i want to recommend and encourage all of you this week take time and read all the four gospels they are going to be different don't try to merge them together read each of the four gospels the last week of jesus take time to do that during this week 
enter into the story of this week. The story of suffering. The story of God weeping for us because we don't understand the way of God. The way of God is the way of the cross. And with this, may we cry out to our Lord and say, Hosanna, Lord. Hosanna, save us. And how will he save us? He will save us through the cross. Lord, help us to cling to the cross where we find our ultimate hope and our victory as we face the challenges of our world. May we follow the Lamb and may He teach us how to follow Him in this world, the world of the sword, the kingdom of the sword. We are people of the kingdom of the cross. Amen.